Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds the whole of creation together. Hey everyone, uh, that was Craig Deal uh, speaking about the centrality of Jesus in our lives from Colossians. And that's who will be delivering our message today. And the service will be led by Janet. Hope you all enjoy it. Welcome everybody. Welcome to King's Meet. It's great to see everybody. My name is Janet and I'm one of the regulars here. We hope you enjoy your time with us and join us for tea or coffee afterwards. Um, can we start with an opening prayer, please? Heavenly Father, our provider, our maker, and our protector, thank you for bringing us all here today. Help us to worship you and listen to your word. Amen. Okay. Our first hymn is, for, is number 1040, which is Come, Now is the Time to Worship. That is 1040.
Thank you. And isn't it wonderful that we worship our God anywhere, anytime, just as we are? Okay. And the next hymn is 1039, one before, 1039, which is Colors of the Day, Dawn into Mind. of day dawn into the mind the sun has come up the night is behind go down in the city into the street and let's give the message to the people we meet so light up the fire and let the flame burn open the door let jesus return take the seeds of his spirit Go through the park, on into the town The sun still shines on, it never goes down The light of the world is risen again The people of darkness are needing a friend So light up the Last week, Ryan gave us a list of the many names that we use for God. He chose the more unusual names and the ones that are difficult to pronounce. So I'm going to add a few more this week, but they're all the easy ones. As Ryan said, these names help us to understand God and all the things he does for us. Father, Alpha and Omega, Almighty, Savior, Provider, Abba, Mighty God, the shepherd, the lamb, the advocate, the gate or the way, Lord, the great I am, the creator, the rock, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, the light, the king, the truth, the son and the word. Okay. 
And, Mike, could you bring us notices, please? Morning and welcome everyone to Tuesday. Good morning. Are you all with us? I've got no birthdays down for this week. I don't have a birthday this week. What about my anniversary? Yeah. So our speaker today is Craig Deal. Thanks, Craig, for coming out. And our speaker next week uh, is Dennis Anderson, not um, Tara Ivaki, as on our notice. Um, They've had to do a swap because Tara and I won't be around next weekend. Um, evening Bible Sunday and Wednesday, 5 p.m. at 7 Thames Road, and uh, also at 6 p.m. at 17 Highgate Road, also on the same on Wednesday as well. Um, Sunday school is still in recess, and we'll be having to be in next Sunday. Uh, and then the only other notice is please to keep the following people in your prayers. Uh, Bruce Friel, Marilyn Gundu, uh, Aaron, Pete Watson, Karen Baker, Cheryl Friel, Rita Lawson. Thank you, Mike, and thanks for your prayers. Everybody who's prayed for us through Dad's illness and Mum's as well. And prayer is such a privilege of... Um, the Christian faith. It's really wonderful. So before we pray, we're going to sing um, How Great Thou Art, and this is especially for Craig, and it's number 506. That's 506. Consider all the works thy hand hath made. I see the stars, I hear the mighty thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to me. How great thou art. How great thou art, then sing to my soul, my Saviour God to
Okay, if you could all be seated, please. In the first section of our prayers today, I've included a selection of Bible verses which help us to understand how we should live as Christians. And the last section is a prayer from St. Benedict. Okay, let us pray. Father God, please help us to love one another, to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. To praise you with all our heart, to trust you with all our heart. Help us to be still so that we know that you are God. Thank you for every day that you have given us. Help us to rejoice and be glad. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for loving us forever. Thank you for caring about us so much. Help us to put our trust in you when we are afraid. Help us to cast on our, all our anxieties on you. Please help us to be obedient, to be strong and courageous, and to remember that you are with us wherever we go. Help us to love you with all our heart and with all our soul and all our strength. Help us to confess our sins, to be kind and compassionate, to forgive each other just as you have forgiven us and help us to love our neighbours as ourselves. We pray for all people working across our country, teaching farming methods, educating children, providing, providing clinics and healthcare. We pray for those who are striving to provide clean water, housing and clothing. We pray especially for the Christians who are teaching people about their salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. We pray for education in Zimbabwe. Thank you for all the schools, universities, and other educational facilities. We pray for all the school teachers who are on strike, that the problems are resolved and they go back and resume teaching. We pray for the Christian church in Zimbabwe, that it may be guided and governed by your spirit to lead people into the way of truth, faithfulness, unity, peace, and righteousness. We pray that all Zimbabweans, well, Zimbabwean leaders will know Jesus Christ as their saviour. We pray for wisdom and understanding and reconciliation among all people in Zimbabwe. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you, Father, that you are hearing our prayers right now. Thank you that we can tell you about all our needs and all our fears. Please help us to remember to thank you in all circumstances and be grateful for all we have. Help us to remember that above all, it is your glory and your will that matters most of all. As it is written in Romans 8.38, help us to live our lives certain that nothing can separate us from the Lord, neither death nor life, neither angels or other heavenly rulers or powers, neither the present nor the future neither the world above nor the world below. There is nothing in all creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this church. We pray for unity as we seek to share the lives, our lives and the gospel with others. Thank you for bringing us all to Kingsmead and the gifts you have given us all. We pray for faithfulness to God's word and a deep love for God's people. 
we pray that we may have servant hearts and total dependence on you. Please help us to support each other and all our speakers. Help us to be honourable, above reproach, devoted to our church family, self-controlled, respectable and hospitable. Gracious and Holy Father, give us wisdom to perceive you, diligence to seek you, patience to wait for you, eyes to behold you, a heart to meditate upon you, and a life to proclaim you through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, okay, and the next um, hymn, and the final hymn before Craig comes to talk to us, is number 37, As the Deer Pants for Water. That's number 37, and that's for Ryan, because he does so much for us. Okay, number 37, yeah.
suggested and if Craig would like to come and talk to us. Thank you, Craig. Morning, everybody. What a joy it is to be back with you after such a long time. And uh, yeah, I've always counted an awesome privilege to be here, not only to be carrying God's word, but with God's beautiful people. So what a joy. Thank you, Janet, for fitting in my eye, our favorite hymn. Um, I mumbled my way through that hymn with my bride at, at the altar. And uh, 40 years ago, we're still same woman next to each other singing it again. <laughs> so she took a chance on me that day. She was being seriously disobedient because we were getting married as unequally yoked. And uh, praise God, it worked out okay. <laughs> so, Father, just uh, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the precious people in this congregation and every one of their families that are represented here today. I pray that uh, what I have to share today is from you, that, Lord, it would pierce bone and marrow, Father, hearts would be open to it, and just give me <coughs> the humility and grace to deliver it <coughs> as you would. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. So, this last week, um, I encountered Jesus through two very dear friends, powerful, humble men of God, in the last couple of weeks. The first man was unexpectedly died, leaving a wife and two young boys. And I attended the funeral and whilst the widow was obviously distraught and, and heartbroken and wrecked with grief, she had a real aura, a supernatural aura about her knowing where her precious husband was. There was a peace and a comfort in her, um, even through, through all the tears. There was a real presence of Jesus at that, that funeral. Um, so much so, there was an altar call during the funeral, and many, many people gave their lives to God. So this man, even in death, influenced people. And then the second man was a, a much older man, who, who should have died. Um, but Jesus rescued him from his deathbed. I spent many hours with him at his hospital bed, thinking it would probably be the last time I saw it. But, but God rescued this man from his death, deathbed, and he lives to fight another day for Jesus. Both men were on a mission for God. And both, and with both those occasions, all within the same week, God, Jesus, showed up. And he chose to spare the older man, but he called the younger man home. And there's always the great big why. Um, both men doing incredible work for the Lord. And yet the younger man was called home. And... For me, it, it got me to start reassessing in my life the centrality of Jesus, why we are here. Um, and we never know when our last breath is going to come. And uh, Colossians 1, for me, 
uh, it sums up the supremacy and the preeminence of Christ in our lives. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds the whole of creation together. So right from the beginning, from Genesis through to Revelation, Jesus holds this whole word together. It, it, the creation, Genesis, Revelation, it all from cover to cover points to Jesus. Sometimes we think, oh, the Old Testament's pre-Jesus. No, everything points to Jesus. Psalm 22 will talk about um, Jesus hanging on the cross. And that was 400 years before the, even the crucifixion was invented by the Romans. Isaiah, chapter 53, talks again about the man dying on the cross. So everything in this word is revolving around the persona of Jesus. And <clears throat> there are two gardens mentioned in this, pre pre predominant gardens mentioned in, the, in this book. And first, obviously, the Garden of Eden. And then, of course, the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, God placed the first man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. And then Jesus went to Gethsemane to restore what the first Adam had lost. The first Adam sinned in the Garden. The second Adam was sinless and took the sin of Adam and the rest of us on his shoulders. There were two Adams. <clears throat> and Romans 5 beautifully speaks about this contrast between the first Adam and the second Adam. Um, it starts in verse 14. When Romans 5, verse 14. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the second man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift led to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, Many became sinners, but because the other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. See, in the one garden, we've got Adam and Eve saying, not your will, God, but ours. We're going to eat of that tree. And the other garden, you've got Jesus saying, not my will, Lord, but yours. A great contrast between the two Adams. Also in the garden and beginning at the end of the Bible, we've got two trees. 
Garden of Eden had a tree of life, which man could have enjoyed forever had he not broken that relationship and fellowship with God by being disobedient. And then the Garden of Gethsemane was a step towards the old rugged cross, the tree of death. By Adam's transgression, he forfeited his right to the tree of life and brought death to all of us. He, who hung on the tree of Calvary, conquered death and by his glorious resurrection restored the tree of life to all of us who believe. Two trees, two gardens. And then the garden where Adam fell is now gone from the earth, but there is a garden coming. The day when he who suffered alone in Gethsemane will restore all things. And Jesus will be here personally to, to bless his people. We read in Revelations 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. The first Garden of Eden, and then in Revelation 21, verse 3, we will be recipients of the new garden. What Adam lost, Jesus will restore. So we can see from Genesis to Revelation, everything culminates, points us towards Jesus' second coming and our lives in between. So we see two gardens, we see two trees, we see two Adams, <clears throat> but that's not all. There were two marriages, two weddings. Now God joined Adam and Eve in the beginning. That was the first wedding. And then in Revelation 21, again, we read about Jesus coming for his bride. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Two weddings, two Adams, two trees, two gardens. From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is the center. And in between that, we fit in somewhere. We are there somewhere in between this long, beautiful His story. And because God has placed eternity in our hearts, we all know that. We all know that, that if you've seen creation, you've seen God, you've seen Jesus. There's no escaping this. Now time in this big story is very limited. You know, statistically, um, I think three people die every second. And on that day when we take I lost breath. I know for me it will be a baited breath because I'll be wondering which of these two sentences I'm going to hear. There's two one of two sentences we're going to hear, that's all, from Jesus. The first is going to be, well done, good and faithful servant. We read about that quite often, but in Matthew 25, 23 we read that. 
But then there's the other sentence, Matthew 7, verse 23. Despite what you've done here on earth, despite all your good deeds, I did not know you. One of two sentences we're going to hear. No time for excuses. No time for you did this well and you did that badly. And you, no. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or, I didn't know you. Jesus' response to us standing before him will undoubtedly be dependent on whether he was central in our lives. The short 50, 60, 70 years that God's allotted us. Was he central in our lives or were there other things that took that centrality away? And did we concentrate, put other things ahead of the Lord? You know, the chief aim of man, the reason why we are on this planet today, is just to glorify God. Nothing else. That's why we are here. And I want to touch just on, on what one of the things, and I think it's probably the greatest thing, that can steal the preeminence of Jesus or the centrality of Jesus away from us. You see, God's greatest competitor is money and possessions. A little, whether you've got a little or whether you've got a lot, money and possessions are God's greatest competitor. In the Bible, money and possessions are mentioned two, over 2,300 times. Love is mentioned 500. So there's a God knows that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. And that's why he makes it so preeminent in this word how possessions and money can rule us. You know, whether you've got a little or whether you've got a lot, there's, you have, within the church, we're not, I'm not talking about secular people, I'm talking about within the church. Because that's who we're talking to, we're talking to believers. The outside world is spiritually dead and blind, so we don't need to preach this message to them. But within the church, we have the extremes, we have the prosperity gospel, and then we have the poverty type gospel. And there's scriptures that'll cover both of them, like, in the prosperity gospel, they say, oh, you've done something wrong. Of course, not blessing with lots of money. On the other side, we have the um, Mother Teresa type gospel that says, oh, if you've got money, God's definitely not happy with you. There's scriptures to cover both of them, but they're wrong. Not wrong, the scriptures aren't wrong. But people can grab a scripture to support any side. But in between that, we have the stewardship gospel. What God has put in your hand, whether it's little or whether it's a lot, God wants us to be stewards of what he gives us, the parable of the talents. If you're faithful with little, God adds to you. And so we read in the parable of the talents where the guy who only had one pivot and he didn't do anything with it, and God took it away and gave it to the guy who already had ten. It doesn't seem fair. But that's about stewardship. It's not about how much you've got, it's whatever he gives you, steward it, and he will add it, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot. So, the prosperity gospel, the 
the poverty gospel, and in between we are asked to just be stewards, the stewardship gospel. And so we talk about this, um, this tug away from the centrality of Jesus by, by possessions and money, and I've been there. I was the classic foolish farmer that we read about in Matthew 12. And I actually need to read it because it's a, it is me. Then he told, Jesus told them a story. That's Luke, Luke 12, starting in verse 16. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what shall I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and all the other goods. And then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you've stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship towards God. You see, notice in this passage, Jesus gets to the core of it. He's always, a, he does, that's what Jesus does. He calls him a fool. He doesn't call him evil. It's not evil to have possessions and be wealthy. That's not evil at all. But he called him a fool. He devoted his life in the wrong areas. In a nutshell, what, what mattered most to this guy, according to their parable, was harvest a large crop, build bigger barns, achieve financial security, eat, drink, and be merry, and then in brackets, remember not to die. Because <laughs> one day, they're going to mean nothing. That was me. I built bigger and bigger barns. I drank ate, drank, and was merry, I was storing up earthly wealth, which was taking away from a rich relationship with God. God had to shape me, and the way he did it was to take it all away from me. You see, we need in this life to do an audit all the time and grasp what is temporal and what is eternal. Temporal is stuff. Temporal is your bank balance. Temporal is what you drive. Temporal is even sometimes your ministry is temporal. But when you see what is eternal, everything that is eternal revolves around people. It's your family. People you don't like. That bears eternal fruit all the time. Most of my friends that I had encounters with last week, dear, dear friends, both of them, the one who died and the one who didn't, understood this, and death held no fear for either of them. Because they had accumulated their treasures in heaven that had gone ahead of them. The temporal did not grip them. I, I'm sure you've all, 
I don't know, maybe some of you still play it, but as a kid I used to play a game called Monopoly. Remember that game? It's a board game, and the object of that game was to accumulate. Always at the expense of the other people. And, uh, and your other people were generally your family, so it wasn't so good. And uh, you could buy houses, you could buy hotels, you could buy streets, companies, and uh, all at the expense of going to jail a few times, but you still accumulated. And uh, when another person lands on your property, wow, you can send them into bankruptcy. And I remember just having, as a little, little boy, the life of sending my grandmother into bankruptcy. <laughs> Nothing as pleasurable as that. But the problem with that game is that it ends. When you pack up the book, it all goes back in the box. It all just goes back in the box. The game's over. That's the game of life. All what we've built up goes into the box. Can't take it with you. I've never, I've never seen a hearse towing a feature trailer. <laughs> There's nothing... Like Monopoly, there's nothing that you can take with you. You see, the game of life, we need to be playing for eternity, not for the here and now. As a Christian, I say I'm no longer materialistic. problem is I just want more. Mm. And you see, wanting more is that unscratchable itch. It's never enough. I'll be happy when I do this. I'll be happy when I've got a PhD. I'll be happy when I'm driving this kind of a car. I'll be happy when I've got this house. I'll be happy when. It's unscratchable because it's never enough. We are built that way. We are born to covet and want more. The temporary stuff, the thrill, wears off. You know that smell of a new car. A couple of weeks in, you're looking at the next one, perhaps. Oh, I wish I'd bought that one instead of this one. You know, it happens. But Michael Drosden, he writes a book about a man who came synonymous with more. He could never get enough. He built one of the greatest financial empires ever. He wanted more pleasure so he seduced and paid for the most glamorous woman money could buy. He wanted more adventure, so he set airspeed records, piloted the world's most unique aircraft. He wanted more power, so he acquired political clout. He wanted more glamour, so he virtually bought Hollywood. Drosden tells us how this man's life ended. He was a figure of gothic horror, Ready, ready for the grave, emaciated only 120 pounds on his six-foot frame, thin scrabbly beard, hideously long nails, black teeth and rotting stumps. A tumour was beginning to emerge from the side of his head. Innumerable needle marks. You see, Howard Hughes was an addict, a billionaire junkie. Now, here's the question, if Howard Hughes had pulled off one more deal, made one more million, 
tasted one more thrill, would it have been enough? For a man who had everything, it wasn't enough. If I had an unlimited credit card, everything that my flesh desires, would it be enough? Well, let's look to the Bible, because one of the wisest men to ever live gave us, gives us an answer. Solomon, he had it all. He had lavish parties surrounded with beauty, a really nice house, the construction, a construction crew of 150,000 people took 13 years to complete his palace. That's a serious house. <laughs> he liked music, he didn't have an iPod, so he had his own private orchestra with every single instrument known to man who could play to him every day. He accumulated 1,000 wives and concubines. I thought he was supposed to be wise. <laughs> he earned, he extrapolated his earnings today, it comes to one, 25 tons of gold per annum, his personal earnings. In Ecclesiastes, it's all there. And his verdict is there too. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet his soul is not satisfied. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, Those who love money never have enough. Those who love wealth will never be satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Note, money isn't the problem. As Paul writes in 1 Timothy, it says it's the love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil. Can you master money or is money mastering you? A good question to ask yourself, Dave. Look at your wallet and say, is this mastering me or am I mastering it? Am I, we have this notion and we pray it often. Oh Lord, I've got this and I've done that. I've got my house, I've got my wallet, I've got my money. Lord, please protect it for me. God would say to you, no, no, no. Actually, that's my money. Will you look after it for me? Will you steward it? For me, because it's mine. We have it the wrong way around so often. Money is good, it's how we handle it is the issue. <clears throat> so if we look at that, the rich fool again, back in Luke 12, when you read it, everything revolves around the I. My crops. This is what I will do. What shall I do? I will store my goods. I will say to myself, what a different ending that story would have if he just said, hey, I've got all these crops. How can I store them to help my community? That parable would have a very different ending. It was all me, 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 my. You see, faithfulness, God adds to it. And there's enough to go around for all of us. <clears throat> so Jesus is speaking to us from Genesis to Revelation. Chief aim of man is to glorify God, make Jesus central in our lives. Because at the end of the day, everything else just goes back into that box. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, that we are able to, to speak your word with truth and with grace. <clears throat>
that your word never comes back void, that everything you, uh, everything you want us to take in, Holy Spirit, you are here to help us. May we all be not condemned but convicted today to make you central in our lives so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in a dark place. We praise you for this day, Lord. Pray that whatever we do today, whatever we do, whatever we say, whatever we think, will do nothing else but bring glory to your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you very much, Craig. That was great. We're going to have one more hymn and a closing prayer. And then please join us for tea and coffee afterwards. Okay, and the last hymn is number one. The first commandments I give unto you. That's the first hymn. The first hymn, no. The first hymn in the book and it's the last hymn. <laughs> well done, Mike. Very <laughs> good.
Closing prayer. Okay, let us pray. Father God, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my Saviour and my hope is in you all day long. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Yeah.